it is recording from the looks right. of it. All right. Sounds like a plan. Cool. So, it's third yes. time the charm, do you think? Let's hope third time's the charm because God help I me. I don't want to do this again. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for us to do this again as just like a casual thing, but it's another thing entirely from just we just keep getting stuck in this same old rut well, again. It's that, yeah, it's that we can't bring in anyone else until we figure out what the we're doing. So yeah, exactly, and please don't say like, we're not we're not going to censor ourselves over this thing. Are I, we? That was not an intentional censor. That was a. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I'm giving myself a quota. <laughs> so, so, so wait. Are, like, what's your quota on what's your quota on swearing on this thing? I would like to be somewhere below the level of my books, and below the level. No, sorry, somewhere around the level of my books, below the level of a Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese film. Because that's okay. how I normally operate is Martin Scorsese level of fucks. So, so, so we've got about 20 between us. Should we just like keep a counter here? Or oh, like... 20? I was thinking 30. But yeah. I mean, you would be a little more foul mouth than me at this point. But I, I mean, I don't even have my appropriate mug that says I have the vocabulary of a well-educated sailor. I'm just drinking out of a can like an actual person. What, what the hell are you drinking anyway? I am drinking Jack's Hard Cider. Well, I'm drinking Corona Seltzer because, you know, this is the time of Corona. Are you proud of that? Are you actually proud of that? Are you actually smiling at that? I, I'm not proud of a lot of things in my life, but I'm going to take some pride in that one. Right. We should introduce ourselves. We probably should because at this point, let's just... Uh, Let's, let's let's get started with the party now, shall we? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Nate. I'm Kirsten, and we are so excited to be bringing you the inaugural episode of Dark Waters, a literary podcast that intends to bring you only the dark darkest, only the grittiest, only the most soul crushing stories. Stories that don't have a happy ending, basically. And we are trying to do this for the third time. Um, so if we sound a little haggard, also neither one of us have slept in days uh for whenever we publish this this is the third tuesday of the election so <laughs> it's been it's been some days so what That's, time did you get up, what time did you get up this morning to, to cover the the, the, the stuff um, going on with the election? i so we'll get into this later obviously but i write a news just for like a news distillation website like i've created one and um i was up at three and at 4.30, and at 6.30, and at 9, and then I gave up, and we just stayed awake. I wish I'd known that you were up at 3, because that's when I got up. Well, um, it was, like, really quick, like, wake up, check, do I need to do an update, do I need to do an update on this thing, and then went back to bed. I think I woke up at 4.30 long enough to see that Georgia was overtaking, and, like, mm. stayed up just long enough to write something coherent, and then fell back asleep. <laughs> I mean, knock on wood for all of that, but it's uh, yeah. like, I mean, I, I mean, I got up at three and I, I was at work at four and that was a little bit of an adventure and I haven't fallen back asleep since, but I've been doing that every single day this week because that's just the way that we're doing things now. Um, it's a great day to be alive um, here in the United States of America. Yes, the yeah. sun is shining, at least where we are. <laughs> it's not shining anymore. It's dark out for me um, because, because you know, I save time and it's... You know, we can't record this show in the daylight. That's asking for far too much. We tried, and that's when the audio failed last time. I mean, it's just, it's it's a sign from the dark, from the gods of darkness. The, tec yeah. the technology knew that we needed to get back to our roots. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but, so, right. what the hell are we doing here, exactly? We are readers <laughs> looking to promote dark cross-genre fiction to other readers and writers and to provide a space for fiction which engages with the brokenness of human beings of society of politics of life in general we as you can tell are like in the middle of i don't even know what to call it so we're not saying that escapism isn't needed in dark times but we're advocating that dark fiction has a place in darker times Exactly. And the general scheme of what we've seen 
because in addition to writers, we're also in addition to readers, we're also writers. What we've seen is that publishers want to provide escapist books to the reading public, but we see the need for having dark stories in dark periods like this. Um, this being said, we don't have crystal balls to know what was in the publisher's pipelines uh, before the coronavirus pandemic of 2020 and what is only being released now after being in production for a couple of years. Uh, something could have gone into the pipeline in 2018 and it's just now coming out and we would have had no indication of that. Uh, so that's the case. And this is kind of coming from a place of us hearing from people with either within the industry or other writers or other readers uh, or other people just kind of in the periphery of the literary scene that dark books are not what people are buying right now because it's too dark for dark fictions. We're like, that's bullshit. Like there's always a space for dark fiction, especially right now. So, but if you look at kind of the the kind of mass media versions of this, so you see The Handmaid's Tale, Plot Against America, Brave New World, they were all developed for TV like right after, within the last four years, um, which coincides with an election the last election that happened that everyone cared about um so dystopia is reaching commercial markets but there's a separation of it a being on the screen and b there being something just slightly off about the world whether in brave new world it is so futuristic or plot against america which is a retelling of history or i think the handmaid's tale is probably the closest but it is such a different society that I feel like the women around me are like, it's so real. But a lot of the guys around me are like, eh, that's that. I mean, I can kind of, I can kind of sympathize with that because I, again, I'm, I'm on the guy side of it where it's saying like, you're, there's a lot of this that is assuming a lot of things of a lot of different men that just, I don't, I don't see. Um, but the thing of it is, is that even with all these different works that these were books that were published years ago i mean brave new world was published in the 1950s and it's just now making it to the screen but you're right is that there's such a separation there and it seems that publishers are they seem to think that people are afraid of getting too close to something too real uh through a book and particularly something that is uh happening that reflects the current environment in which we are exactly and i think what we keep forgetting about these stories and i saw a great post about this the other day is that people weren't orwell wasn't writing about a future he was afraid of margaret atwood was not talking about a future that they were afraid of these were people writing about their current what they were currently seeing and what they were currently concerned about and setting it in a different timeline so they were writing about the present so it's not that they were forecasters it's not that they had some great insight it was we keep seeing these issues within society and there's always been a place for literature for it. And there will continue to be a place in literature for it. And that's not to just talk about the political dystopia. We're also talking about horror and we're talking about thrillers and we're talking about things that really look at the human, just like human beings in general and how we respond to certain situations. Um, so we're looking for, we're looking to give a space that allows readers to be uncomfortable and feel like something is hitting a little bit too close to home, because that's the only way that we're going to grow as people and as a society. So. Yeah. And I mean, on top of that is that this is going to be a space for writers who are either just entering the market, just entering the field, who are trying to get a start. Um, and we want to give a space for those new stories, those new voices to kind of, come into their own and kind of grow and give a space where they can be exposed to the public for the first time. And with that caveat of we're not professional editors, we're writers, we're readers, we love these stories, we love the work they're trying to accomplish, um, and we want to promote them to a broader audience. Uh, so we're not professionals, but we love this stuff and we want to give you all a space to grow and thrive and give the world a taste of whatever voice you have now and help spread that around and also um, as much so as we can kind of helping grow that voice so like a part of what we want to do is not just give you a outlet for it but to also say oh i really liked what this person did or oh i really like what that person did or even just as we're going through works and editing them and like giving you feedback on them whatever help that is for you as well so exactly 
exactly. So who are we? Nathan, who are you? <laughs> Tell me about you. All right. Um, so um, I'm, I'm, I like long walks on the beach. I'm dark and curious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Nate. Uh, I'm a published writer. I publish under the name N.B. Turner. Uh, I published a few short stories. I have a novel in progress. Um, if you want to look for anything that I've done, um, there have been a couple of magazines, Hoosier Noir, um, uh, then also a venue called Shotgun Honey, uh, published a couple of my things. I've mostly done crime fiction and then some poetry that ended up in a very, very interesting publication called The Daily Drunk. It was really so good. I do, have, Just... I do have a humorous side. <laughs> I do have a humorous side. You will probably hear me laughing a lot over the podcast. I apologize for that in advance. Um, so in terms of books that I love or authors that I love, um, I love books that look at crime, look at horror is something that I've gotten into a lot recently just because it examines the brokenness of human beings and in terms of how human beings tend to react under stress, um, either in the stress of just day-to-day life or even things that are completely out of whack with anything that's assumed to be normal uh, by and large. I love things that will take someone who thinks they're prepared for uh, daily life and prepared for everything they're gonna face and puts them in a situation where they have no idea how to respond. Those are the types of books that I absolutely love. Um, authors that I really admire, Raymond Carver, Flannery O'Connor, John Le Carre, um, in terms of some of the newer ones, uh, there's a guy named Bill Solden, who I absolutely adore, S.A. Cosby, and I'm just finding a couple of other ones who I'm really starting to uh, get into and really start to enjoy, and we'll probably talk about those down the line. Um, but there's going to be a series of questions that we're going to go through with each other, and we're going to go through with every single one of our guests. Uh, so, Kirsten, please continue. Uh, happily. So, <laughs> what, so you kind of discussed this in terms of what you classify under the header of dark fiction and why you love it. So what are you specifically looking for with that dark fiction? Like when you, you're going to the store, you want a new book, like what, what are you hunting for? Well, black on the cover is always a good sign for me. True Um, facts. Exactly. Uh, So what I'm looking for is again, something that is taking uh, human beings out of anything that they would have been prepared for. Uh, so in terms of crime throws, it's often someone who they didn't expect to end up in a situation, whether it's a bank heist or they stumble onto a murder or they end up finding out that their daughter, son, husband, wife, partner, whatever, um, has done something tragic and now they're involved in it. Uh, things like that where it forces someone to get out of whatever rut, whatever routine they're in and it forces them to confront very difficult things about themselves that they may have otherwise tried to avoid. Um, those things are what I absolutely love when a story does it. And uh, that's what I really look for because I'm looking for literature to show the measure of human beings. Uh, that is the thing that I love, and I love when stories do it. And so that's what I'm always looking for in stories. So what made you decide to write and then publish? You. Um, hmm. So... You guys can't see it, but I'm making, like, the most annoying face at him as we're talking. So, a little bit of backstory. Uh, So, how Chris and I know each other. We went to high school together uh, about, what, 11 years ago now? Oh, geez. Yes, exactly. Um, But, uh, so when we were in high school together, I was working on a novel. It's a trash novel, and it will stay buried, rightfully so. Um... But during that time, I was letting her read it, and she was telling me, like, this is actually really quite good. Uh, And so that had me keep going. And then when I was in college, I kept writing. I kept writing. And then when I got out of college and uh, I showed her some of my stuff, she was telling me, again, like, you need to go and do this uh, and get published. And so it was her and then also just the idea that, you know what, I'm really tired of having these things burn a hole in my hard drive. And I just wanted to see if anyone else would enjoy them. And thankfully they did. I've been very blessed um, in that regard. Uh, And it's just, I like to explore human beings and writing is the best way I have to do that. When you're editing other people's work, mainly mine, uh, (laughs) 
because you are my primary editor still. Um, do you have a set style of trying to improve other people's work? What's your approach to working on a story? So a set style would probably be looking at what the core of the story is and bringing it up to the front so it slaps somebody in the face. Uh, because with you, you are exceptionally subtle uh, when you write. And I love it. But the thing of it is, is that your stories have a point to them. And I need that point to smack me in the you know, face. And it needs to smack everyone else I've said face. this before. I'll say it again. If I say something on page seven, how do, like, I mean, I say it again on page 247. Like, that's totally a thing. Totally. Yes, but we need to make sure that it's on page 20, page 50, page 100, page 125, just so people understand. This is a thing. It's a book. Um, so the, that's the point of it. I, I remember Flannery O'Connor actually had, um, you're going to hear a couple of Flannery O'Connor references. Um, she's a complicated woman. I have my own views. But uh, at one point in one of her essays, she said that like we should we should draw jagged shapes for the half blind and we should shout for the deaf uh, in order to get the point across. And that's kind of my approach to editing is when I'm trying to bring things out to the front so people can actually see them and see them clearly. Uh, because if it's hidden in the back and people are missing it, yeah, it, it's going to get some readers, but I want your work, uh, particularly in anyone else's work that I come across, um, but yours in particular, I want it to hit people in the face because you've got something really, really good to say and I want to make sure they hear it. So that's my well, thank you. Uh, hypothetical. You've been published and won awards, had a successful career. Your, your name is known. Like people aspire to be you. Who would you want your work to be compared to? Uh, so Flannery O'Connor, yes. Um, without the accusations of racism. Ideally. Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, let's not say I do. Let's say that's, <laughs> that's that's something I can actually influence. And I'd like to make sure no, Dark Waters um, is very much anti-racist. <laughs> very, very much anti-racist. Black Lives Matter, and I'm not saying that as a joke. Uh, but hypothetical: Flannery O'Connor, Raymond Carver, uh, John Le Carre for the thriller side, and. Uh, Again, some of the other authors I mentioned, S.A. Cosby, I think, is one of the really, really good living writers. And there's a nuance to his stuff that I thoroughly enjoy and I wish I had. Um, so those are some of the guys I like to be compared to uh, if I was ever in such a position to have a career in letters. <laughs> uh, is there a story you've always wanted to write or see in writing? So there's a story that I've been working on uh piece by piece where it's the idea of instead of books being written on paper they're being written on human beings because there's no trees left after either an apocalypse or some sort of global warming event or a nuclear war what have you but either way there's no way to make paper so people have improvised for generations and the way they get around this is they write books on people like it's actually tattooed on people's skins uh and that changes what it means to kill a book or to uh, kill an idea. You actually have to kill a person and actually have the idea of a traveling library going from like village to village in this apocalyptic wasteland uh, and seeing what that can actually mean. I'd love to write that. I need to work on it um, and actually figure out how to properly give that idea some oxygen. Yeah, I want to read it when you do, though, because I have total faith in you and i really want to read that book and i will poke you until it happens what's what's the last book you read that left you heartbroken in pieces or had you keep all the lights on in the house for an indefinite period of time so this is going to be one of the ones that i that i mentioned like we'll talk about later but the only good indians by stephen graham jones is the first book that has given me nightmares in years um, it is, he's a Native American author out of, I'm not entirely sure what state he's out of, but he's out of the Blackfeet Nation, and he is phenomenal, phenomenal horror, uh, horror writer, and that book was just, it was gut-wrenching, and it was wonderful, and I loved it, and I, 
I, I just need to find everything else that he's written and just read it because it's beautiful and dark and disgusting and oh baby just just I am so excited um, to read this book because you told me about it and you'd mentioned it before and I was just like ah and now you're like it gave me nightmares and I'm like oh my god I have to read it <laughs> I have to read it now <laughs> you're sick of twisted person it's like it gave, it gave me nightmares. I, I can't handle horror movies but horror fiction I'm like give me give me <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the exact same way and it's the but weirdest it sounds fantastic. thing but um, it, it, it what really is the is. last book you read that left you with a positive impression on the world yeah because there's room for some escapism but you have to you have to get yeah. in like this little tiny back mm -hmm. corner of the room um, last one I read that was a positive impression uh, it's kind of a toss up actually uh, it would either be Crooked Hallelujah by Kelly Jo Ford, uh, again, another Amer Native American author, but she's out of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, it, the book's based in Oklahoma, but it follows the lives of uh, four generations of women in one particular family. Uh, and it it shows like their relationship to religion, their ties to the land they grew up on, uh, relationships, family, all these different things. And it's just gorgeously written. And it was one of those books that like, I actually took photos of certain pages of it just because like I wanted to have that prose and just be able to like look at it again and again. Um, but then the other one that really kind of stuck with me recently, and this is a more recent one, uh, would be a book called Lost in the Furrows by William R. Solden. I call I call him Bill Solden. Uh, but he it's a lot of flash fiction and actually some poetry and some really, really short stories, but it's one of those ones where at several times over the course of the book, I actually just stopped reading it and just took a deep breath and just meditated on what he was trying to do because it was beautifully done uh and it was it was a lot of people that i kind of sympathize with because it was out of a similar region where i grew up uh so those would be the last two kind of a toss-up but it's kind of a cheating answer but it's fine because we're, we're never going to do that we're never going to have cheating answers ever i appreciate that so um, that's the end of the questions for me. Person, who the hell ah, are you? <laughs> um, okay, so as I mentioned before, uh, I have my news distillation website. Here's the issue. Um, so that's kind of, so that's not fiction, but I would say that it's still dark because it's current events all the time, always. Um, so all that writing, anything you see on that website was written by me as of this time of this recording. Um, I've also published several books under a pen name uh, that is still an uh, ongoing debate between me and Nathan of the, whether I will say that pen name on the show. <laughs> and I have... And then I also have several novels and short stories under my name that are in progress slash are completed and I'm trying to publish in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but I am currently trying to keep a separation between the two author identities because one of them is more in a romance section and by somewhat i mean like it, it, it is romance it's not traditional happily ever after standards by any means but it's still a different genre and then the stuff that i write is just like all the main characters die every time so that's my that's my thing i think i think that's all of it <laughs> Yeah, all right. That, that's that's a good enough start. So, certain definitions that you know you asked me about. What do you normally classify under the header of dark fiction, and why exactly do you love it? And what are you looking for? What is going to be the thing that gets a book off the shelf and into your hands when you see it in the store? A title will sometimes also get it into. You said dark. You said the black cover. So, like, I'm thinking of ending things. Like, that's such a good title. I didn't really like the book, but it's such a good title. Like that's got that got into my hands. Um, so when I think of dark fiction, I'm very similar to you in that it's a questioning of the character and like them questioning the world around them and like their morals and everything else. But I think for me, it's also something that like really just sucks me deep in into like a hole where I can't cl crawl out of it. Like I'm so immersed in all the events that are happening. And I feel like it's way easier for me to, if a story is like happy and bright and like cheery to kind of remove myself from it a little bit. Whereas mm -hmm. I think in darker stories, when I feel a real 
peril or I feel real uh, emotional disturbance. I am invested into that to see how that's going to change the course of the story or how that's going to affect the characters in the story. Whether or not I hate the characters or not, because a lot of the times I'm reading a book being like, just die already, bitch. Like, I understand <laughs> that that's also a possibility. But I think for me, it has to have real emotional consequence. If Physical consequence, ideally, but it has to have a real emotional consequence. Like if someone dies, I should feel that, you know? um yeah when i'm at a bookstore that's a little bit hard to find like to tell right off but usually i can tell within a couple of pages if that's something i'm going to be like really into mm -hmm. yeah because i mean i met like we've had this discussion kind of before um but i mean you're a very active person so like it, se it seems like anything that's gonna actually like sit your ass yeah. down and make you want to yeah like i just yeah. I work on like so many side projects and I do aerial circus and contortion training and I'm constantly like running around doing stuff and anything that can make me like really sit down. So there was one time I was actually when I was reading I'm thinking of ending things. I went for a walk near my apartment and ended up sitting down and was there for a good 20 30 minutes and then was like okay I should keep walking but like that was a big deal that I like stopped for 20 30 minutes during my walk because I had to see what happened next in this book. <laughs> I can appreciate you that. Um, it's a lot of times, you know. Uh, so what made you decide to write and publish? Uh, write, I think, was I kind of just grew up with books. Uh, I read Harry Potter, the first one, when I was six and, like, learned to read when I was three and just, like, always, always read, had books. And, I like, I've I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't had a book in my purse. Um, like it is a standard for when I shop for a new bag, it has to fit a book. Um, I think it also helped. So like my mom is a children's book writer uh, and it's kind of having her write kind of gave me the possibility of, Oh, right. I can do this too. Um, very different genres. She's like, and then we went to play in the park and I'm like, and then the park got set on fire. Like, Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think you're also the one that made me really want to publish my books, though, because you read, I re you told me you deleted it, and I somewhat believe you, but similarly, you read the first draft of my book that was not good at the time, and I've had three people convince me, try to convince me, like, no, it was good. Like, it brought me into that world and I could feel that world. I'm like, no, it was written by a 15-year-old and it read like it was written by a 15-year-old. Like, there was not. <laughs> Let me state this. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. It was decidedly like, average. <laughs> it, it, was, it was one of those ones where it's like, you had a plot, you had an idea, and you executed it. You didn't execute it well. It's like, you know, you were kind of like the sniper that's sitting like half a mile away and you like missed the target by like three inches. You still missed the target, but you didn't miss it by that much. I mean, I feel like that's still the sniper not doing what they were contracted to do. So, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, you didn't quite do the job, but you did a pretty dang good job considering you were half a mile away from the target. <laughs> but that book, thankfully... I never like I never let go of it like there would be periods of time because that was like a decade that was literally a decade ago now um, where I would kind of let the story go but then I go back to it and I think it went through like 13 14 redrafts of literally me just like starting over and then quitting and then starting over and then quitting and then finally I finished this draft and was just like I think this is worth pursuing and you were like bitch of course it's worth pursuing and I was like okay fine <laughs> And you were also the one that really pushed me into starting to write short stories as well. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I love what you did in the book. <laughs> this is what you do in short stories. You know? And we will get to one of your short stories as well. Yeah, we'll get to so many of yours, too. It'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah, find someone to do that. Um, so, when you're editing other people's work, again, mainly mine, because you're my main editor, uh, do you have a set style of trying to do other people's work? What's your approach when you Well, I think mine's kind of the opposite of yours because you do hit me over the head with it, and I'm like, mm, you're using a frying pan. You could also use one of those sticks with a marshmallow on top. Like, maybe you don't have to like slam it over my head. I get the meaning. Like, 
<laughs> but no, legitimately mm -hmm. what I actually do is I start editing at the beginning of the story for any grammar mistakes, for any things that look inconsistent. A lot of the times, as you probably noticed, I'll highlight things to be like, I want a better explanation of this later. And then usually I go back and like fix those things if there is an explanation of it later or if something really needs to be addressed. Issues with time period or issues with consistency. Um, all those things will go into it. So I'll read it through, make all those notes, and then I'll read it through again and be like, do those notes make sense? Did I fix the things from before? And sometimes the second viewing isn't as thorough as the first, which is why you still see some like highlighter things. And sometimes you've been like, did you mean to like say something there? And I'm like, no, 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 you fixed it. It's fine. <laughs> but like, that's kind of my approach <laughs> is making sure that everything that what happens at the beginning makes sense at the end. And none of it is too much and everything f makes logical sense. Okay. All right. I mean, it, I definitely see that in a lot of your, in a lot of your comments and, you know, forgive me for having, you know, forgive me for being Catholic and wanting to, you know, have some morality. You <laughs> named a vampire stoker. I was so mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> you named a goddamn vampire, not just vampire, a vampire priest stoker. <laughs> <laughs> and again you like it took you half the story it did like, i was like so immersed in other parts that i was like wait hang on wait hang on and and then i realized what you'd done and i was so angry i was also a little angry at myself it took me that long but i was so angry at you <laughs> did, I, did, I, did i just read six pages to realize this is a this is a joke and i was just like yeah you did <laughs> literal comment all in caps <laughs> so bad. I, I think it was one of the best days of my life. You, I'm pretty sure you could just like imagine my face, just like the literal mind melt of what. Well, the worst thing about it was that I I, I imagine the mind melting, but then I imagine you just like winding up to slap me for it because it was like just like put the this. punching gloves on, be like hold up the pads. You're like, come on. <laughs> You're better I'm than this. The shit of you on paper. <laughs> I'm really not. But uh, okay. so hypothetical. Actually, this series. Uh, hypothetical. You've been published. You've won awards. You've had a successful career in letters. Who would you want your work to be compared to? I like every time. I think I've gotten really uncomfortable when we get to this question. <laughs> um, I would say with lots of lots of caveats of what you said of all hypotheticals. Um. Probably a combination of Chuck Palahniuk, Don DeLillo, and Clive Barker. Those are my favorite authors. Uh, they are very much inspirational to how I write. They are people that I've read for years and like can never get enough of. Um, I find the how dark early Palahniuk stuff gets. Like you're starting to read Haunted now, which I've been telling you to read for a while, and it's so so amazing. And just like how because it's really a combination of short stories that all fit together and it's beautifully done, but it's so disturbing. Um, and then Don DeLillo just has this amazing way of like just lyrical prose and his work is not, I really identify with it because it's not necessarily the most in terms of world building. Americana is a little different. White noise is a little different. Um, Zero K is a little different, but Cosmopolis isn't necessarily like big on world building and body artist is not that big on world building, but it's very much a human story that's told in a lot of internal monologue and dialogue. And Clive Barker is just, he is the world building king. Uh, Neil Gaiman could probably compete with him, but uh, does compete with him very much. But like, I think he just has such a way of building these worlds out that is so aspirational because that's like the big thing. That's the big critique I keep getting in my writing is that I don't build out the world enough. So kind of that combination of if I could get like a little bit more of Barker with a little bit more of DeLillo with a little bit more of Palinuk and like kind of all combine them into like a Kirsten stew. That'd be, that'd be my ideal. 
a Kirsten stew. It is black, and there's a lot of yoga blocks involved. I don't know. <laughs> there's some there's some possible deadly nightshade. All the pens we'll that have later. ever been lost are also there too. <laughs> So, speaking of pens, is there a story you've always wanted to write or see in writing? Um, Kind of. So, I'm kind of working on it under the pen name, which is basically this idea of... So, a part of why I started writing romance books under a pen name was because I wasn't seeing any books that I wanted to read. So, I was like, cool, I'm going to read the, I'm going to write the stuff that I would want to read and I wish was out there. So, a lot of it is taking tropes and kind of twisting them. So, this story is the kind of, so it starts off as like the stereotypical the guy's been in love with the girl since they were like children and he finally gets the chance to be with her and he's not going to fuck it up. But it's basically this idea that he's in love with an idea and she's never been this person that he wanted her to be. And she, is kind of very slowly realizing it. And it's also her battling with um, like her own depression and anxiety and like kind of existential. I'm not where I want to be and I'm young and I know people keep telling me that, but like, I'm not where I want to be and I'm not happy, but you're paying attention to me. So I guess that's fine for now. Um, And kind of them realizing her kind of making the choice to say, no, I'm actually going to do the work I need to do. And like, relying on you is not going to get me there and you're using me as a scapegoat and you're using me as an idea and who you are in love with doesn't exist and him realizing that this thing he's been in love with for however many years he's never actually been in love with he's never known her so it's not it's obviously not going to end with them together it's going to end with him meeting who he actually wanted to be with and her being on her own and not just being okay, but like thriving that way. Or if not thriving, on the way to thriving. So that's the story I want to read when it comes to romance. I want to have, because this is, it's kind of playing off the idea that you don't have to have a relationship be like, we're not doing this unless we're getting married, or we're not doing this unless we're doing that. But it's a, we're going to stay together for as long as makes sense for us, for as long as as healthy for us. And that can be, 5, 10, 20, 50 years, or it can be 20 minutes and doesn't invalidate either one. But learning how to grow, excuse me, grow with other people and learning how, learning from relationships, I think it's really important. And I think we get hung up on this idea that you meet the person and then everything just works out, right? Like that's what chick flicks are. That's what romance novels are. Like everything just works out and then you just have a bunch of kids and everything's fine. And it's like, no. It's not necessarily that relationships take work. It's that there's effort put into them and things just don't happen. And it's okay if it it's okay if it's not okay. It's okay if it's not a good fit and it doesn't work out. Yeah. And yeah, I want to read it when you're uh, I'm gonna pester you about it because I Because I wrote three chapters like a year ago and then just like got writer's block and stopped. Yeah. That <laughs> Well, there's that, but then there's also the the idea of when I say that there are things that you say that need to be heard, this is one of those things because I know at least growing up, I got the myth as opposed to the actual reality of it. And I think that what you try to do in a lot of your stuff, at least, at least on the romance side, the, the stuff that you write under your own name, there are, there's a lot of things with that. But on the romance side is... Um, you're actually showing the truth about relationships. And I think that not just showing the, the fanciful part, the, the nice part, uh, the, the easy to look at part, I think showing that the, the actual like hard work that has to go into it, or like the, the nitty gritty dirty stuff that goes into relationships. I think that there's a space for that. And that needs to yeah, be shown. I think, so I think there's the an point. idea that people only want to read things that like in that genre that are easy and it's not saying that there isn't a place for that it's that there's also room to explore beyond that so yeah 
that's that's my answer. Very long-winded. That's my answer. Hey, it's the answer I wanted. Um, so what's the last book you read that left you heartbroken in pieces or had you keep all the lights on the house for an indefinite period of time? Okay, see, it's going to be the same answer that it was last time because in the interim, I read American Gods, which is a very long book. Very good, but a very long book. Okay, okay. we're going to talk after this about Anyway. <laughs> so... I find I finally read it. Does that not count for something? Anyway, no, it does. I just want to hear your okay. thoughts about it afterwards. Um, so, uh, Sadie by Courtney Summers. Let me double check that. Yeah, thank you. Um, because yeah. I gave it to you. I'm glad that you remember more than me. Um, so <laughs> I found this book. And I cannot recommend it enough as an audiobook because a part, most of it is written as a podcast and they did it as a full cast recording. So you're hearing it like it's a podcast. So it's, it, it can definitely be read, but it is at its prime when you're listening to it. And it just left me so heartbroken and shattered. I think I went for like a 12 mile bike ride, came back and was like, I'm still like, I'm not okay. I can't deal with this. Like there's too many feels. Um, but it's yeah. Sadie by Courtney Summers is it. Sorry. Disclosure. It's a thriller. Uh, that is not a happy ending. <laughs> Shocker. Nah. Um, I would also say for anyone who hasn't read it as another thriller and I'm going to, butcher his name but um the silent patient by alex michelides michelides thank you yeah i don't know why you know these authors better than i do (laughs) i have a i have a weird memory for uh for sounds and for names uh so when you say them i tend to remember them and it's perfect it helps me so much because i i don't at all um Anyway, that book, I definitely slept with the lights on that night. It was, it's an incredible, incredible, incredible story. Also, it makes me happy because he uses a lot of commas and you and everyone else keeps being on me about my use of commas. And I'm like, I know I'm not him, but he did it. (laughs) He does it too. (laughs) So... Yeah, Jack Kerouac also uses dashes for quotes instead of actual quotation marks. Doesn't mean that it's I mean, we can talk about Jack Kerouac at length, but maybe not right now. That's not right now. Yeah, let's we, not We right can't now, but discredit all of our... Re- like, I don't know. I don't want to, like, burn bridges with certain listeners before we even get them in the door. Yeah, let's not, but I will refrain from any further comments on commas. <laughs> comments on commas. Um... <laughs> until after i read this book because if because if you do it like he does it then okay maybe i'll change my mind all right so speaking of changing your mind what's the last book that you read that left you with a positive impression on the world I yes i'm gonna it. keep doing it, these it helps us move along you're you're very much appreciated uh i would say it's probably a toss-up one of them i actually read a year ago which says a lot about the how often i read happy stories but City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And I think it will, it is definitely a New York story. It is 100%, you get more out of it if you have ever lived in New York. And I totally accept that. But it is about women in uh, pre-World War to post-World War II and just coming of age in New York City and what it means to like be a girl growing, like, coming like coming into your own in new york city and all like my sister recommended it to me and we just like can't stop gushing about it um there's a quote that's basically like once a girl stops being like afraid of what people are going to say then she's free to do anything and it was just like all of that for like the entire story it was amazing um and her book her books are generally really good but this was a it was a fiction but like based in historical facts and she just did an amazing job with it and the other one is maybe you should talk to someone and that's about uh it's a memoir from a therapist about her getting therapy while being a therapist and like her starting off her practice and like growing as a therapist while dealing with her own 
issues. And it's just, she's so funny and just has such a good way of writing about everything and has such a good way of kind of explaining throughout the course of the story, like, this is where we were, this is where we're getting to. And like the growth of her patients as well as her own personal growth is, it was really heart, like heartening to read. Heartwarming. heartwarming. I sometimes Very... have a heart. It sometimes thaws and then immediately refreezes. No. The thaw at the beach because you want to talk about you. You want to talk about yes. beach reads. Though. No. That was your. That was that was that was your thing. It was because why, I why did, you did want to talk because about I had a whole. Okay, so I used to work at Barnes and Noble, and we had a table that was called beach reads, and it made no goddamn sense of what is actually a beach read because it was sort of crime but it was a lot of romance and like was definitely geared towards women and i was just like none of these are beach reads i don't want to read any of these on the beach i want to read clive barker on the beach i want to read never let me go on the beach like i literally read never let me go staring at the ocean and then almost walked into it like i don't know like why <laughs> why should we <laughs> like put why and like i think it's just it goes to the larger view of escapism and i'm again not saying that escapism in the traditional like oh like forget your troubles and like just fly off for a second is not valid i am saying we shouldn't put such emphasis on it yeah i i have to agree with that because the last time actually i think about it, i think the last time i was actually at the beach and reading i think it was like 2000 Holy shit! That was 2018. I was on the I was on a beach in Tampa, and I was reading a um, I was reading a satire of the funeral industry in the 1950s in Hollywood called The Loved One by a guy named Evelyn Waugh. And Evelyn Waugh is a satirist who like stared into the abyss. He was a very sad man, but a very funny man at the exact same time. Um, but I that was like the last book I read on the beach. So I completely agree with you. But it's one of those things where you laugh at it. Like it was a book that you can laugh at, but you also have to look at it as like this is incredibly dark and sad. I think at one point he actually had a he had a poem that was composed to a corpse. The book actually, like again, funny story about how I found out about the book. I found out about the book because I was reading the memoir of a, a woman named Caitlin Doty. Uh, she worked in a mortuary. She worked at a crematorium. It's called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from a Crematorium. Uh, and she references this book and so i loved evil and Wah, so i went and i found it and it is an absolutely hilarious book that dissects the 1950s funeral industry uh and i thought it was absolutely hilarious and i happened to have it in my pocket so i read it on the beach um but i also had a colleague who was there with me and she was reading uh, king leopold's ghost uh which is about the belgian absolute massacre and desecration and uh, exploitation of the Congo in the 1800s um, because, you know, there's unlike systematic oppression while you're just sitting on the beach uh, drinking Roman Coke uh, because, you know, that's just, that just fits certain people's Again, I don't think that the issue uh, is but, reading about systemic oppression on the beach. I have issue with the Roman Coke while reading about systemic oppression because books, we've had this conversation before, books on the beach and books in general have liquor and drinks associated with them. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. I mean, it just depends on what like what are you trying to read yes. and what are you trying to drink. Like, actually, this is, this is an interesting question. Do you do you melt the drink around the book or do you melt the book around the? Drink? Oh man, it totally depends, right? Because like, if I'm actually on the beach drinking like a fruity fucking cocktail, like, and that's what I want, then I have to meld the book based on that. I'll probably read like Bukowski or something, or. Yeah, I feel like Bukowski I can get behind like having a mojito with. But if I'm reading Clive Barker and I like really want to read Clive Barker, I I don't know. I feel like you can't read like the Books of Blood or the Damnation Game or something like that and be like, I'm drinking it from a coconut. Like that just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my general my general philosophy was it was always um, whenever I'd read Hunter S. Thompson, I mean, I'd always have a margarita. A margarita. I mean, a margarita or a beer. I mean, like you can't read the Rum Diary and Agreed. not drink rum. I mean, that was that was actually. I think that book was what got me into Rob Roy's or Cowboy Roy's for a bit, which is like I don't know, like I don't know if you've ever had that, but like that drink is freaking delicious. 
Um, and it's the only way nowadays that I'll drink vodka. Uh, but I mean, I can't read, I can't read Hemingway without wanting a glass of whiskey. You know what? Honestly, that to me is escapism though, is I'm on the beach with something ridiculous in my hand and like, I don't know, like a thriller that's just like has me on the edge of my seat and I can like hear the waves crashing and I'm completely in like an element, but I also have like something on the side and just like in the sunshine. There's like a book tan line on my stomach. <laughs> it's the world's biggest yes, Mai Tai and the book that is tan escapism. line. Right in- <laughs> that is the definition of a dark orange <laughs> podcast right there. That is the definition of escapism. It is the world's largest Mai Tai and a book tan line understanding. God help anyone who ever sees a book tan line on my stomach, but we'll go away from that. Um, right. So what the hell are what we doing is our here plan? Exactly? Uh, so we're every episode. We will be going through a story, either by one of us or from another writer. If we are providing our own work, we're going to have a guest editor who will provide critiques and also their own views about writing, of publishing, or the way that fiction has shaped their worldviews will basically make them go through the same questions we just did, which will hopefully be more interesting and it won't just be us talking back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so we are... Do you want to take the rest of it? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so we're going to encourage... Any listeners that we have, please submit their own work uh, to us or recommend others to submit to us. If you don't write yourself, please submit some of your, please recommend your friends to submit to us. Um, currently, we don't have a format to publish you ourselves. We don't have a website um, or a zine of our own, but we can give you a platform uh, to share some of your segments of your work. We'll ask you to read um, segments of your work, things that either you really loved or that we wanted to hear more about um, because we're going to actually have discussions about the edits that we give you or the suggestions that we give you. We're not going to talk about grammar. We're not going to talk about- We'll do that in a separate document and send to you separately. Not a part of this episode. Mm -hmm. No one wants to listen about Oxford commas. Well, maybe they do. We're not doing it here. Um, Those those sorts of nerds, there are other podcasts for you. Um, But (laughs) I, I love the Oxford comma, but- um, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a platform to share like those really, really brilliant golden nuggets of your work um, with a wider community. And we can point you towards a journal or a website that would be happy to take on your work and that would be a good fit for you. Um, so that's kind of the goal that we have here. It's to give younger up and coming voices a space to flourish and a space to share their work and also a space to talk about it and younger as in like newer to, to the literary um, community not like there is no age limit like in general so. <laughs> we're so excited to have you join us on this experiment we'll be putting our email in the show comments below uh so that you can submit or send mm-hmm. us feedback uh and we hope that you enjoy so comment submit listen subscribe literally all of the things <laughs> thank you and i mean have fun enjoying this, but we'd like to we'd like you to remember to Thanks, always guys. look beneath the surface. <laughs>